the great question that humanity has been obsessed with since the beginning of time is this. Is there an eternal life, and how do we get there? That is the great question humanity has been obsessing over since the beginning of time. Is there an eternal life, and how do we get there? And what I've noticed is that a lot of times when people are rejecting Christianity, they're not actually rejecting Christianity itself. They're rejecting something that they think Christianity is, but it is not what they are not actually rejecting Christianity, but a false view of what Christianity is. So when we set out to start the Grove, we, I said, okay, what are going to be our biggest challenges in reaching people in our area? And one of the greatest challenges we have is clarifying what Christianity actually is. There is a, there is, Christianity is largely misunderstood. It's incredibly easy to understand, but for some, easy enough for a child to grasp, but for some reason, it has been misunderstood. And my hope in my prayer is that not one of you would leave here without having a very clear understanding of what Christianity is, of what eternal life is and how you get there. What Jesus is saying is, this is the way. I love all of you, and my deepest prayer is that you would not leave here today without a clear understanding of the Christian faith. And that's what Jesus does for us today in this text. So we're John 6, verses 22 through 40. Here's what it says. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, that there had been only one, saw that there, saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The great question, the first question that humanity has been obsessed over as to whether or not there is eternal life, Jesus' answer to it is a resounding yes. But what is eternal life for Jesus? What does he mean by eternal life? Well, when we look at this word that he's using here, the Greek word for life here is zoe. So in English, we have one word for life. But in Greek, there are two. The first one is about physical life. But the second, the word that we have here, is about a quality of life. Eternal life is about an eternal zoe, an eternal quality of life. So zoe is a life of peace, it's a life of satisfaction, and it's a life of bliss. It's a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose and with value. Eternal life is about an eternal world that is given to us through Christ. And in this world, we have everything that we have ever wanted and more. And it's not that we are getting things that we have wanted that are unhealthy for us. There are wants that we have that are not of heaven, that are not good for us. Here's what happens. When we enter into eternal life, when we enter into heaven, our desires become rearranged, and we only have desires for what is good for us. And then we get there into eternal life, and we indulge in every single one of the desires that we have that are healthy desires, that are good desires for us. Heaven is a world of perfect love, where we love others perfectly, and we love God perfectly, and we are loved by God perfectly, and others, we are loved by others absolutely perfectly. Nothing that you can do there will cause you hurt, death, or pain, and nothing you do to others will cause hurt, death, or pain. In fact, every single thing that you do will cause you pleasure and will give pleasure to others. Absolutely every single thing that you do. All that you can do is what is loving and what is right. So how is it then that there's no pain in heaven? I mean, aren't we going to remember this world, and we're going to remember the pain that we went through in this world, and we're going to think about it, and we're going to be like, oh man, that was so painful. What, what the Bible says is it's not even going to compare to the glory that we're going to enter into. The suffering that we walk through now will not even compare. So you think about it like this. You take a bite of hot chocolate molten cake, the greatest cake in the world, and it hits your taste buds and it's like your taste buds are filled with pleasure and then someone says to you hey i see that you like that cake but let me ask you was it worth the suffering of picking up the fork and of grabbing the cake with the fork and putting it to your mouth of course it was and it's the same thing when we're talking about heaven we're talking about eternal life the the suffering that we are going through now 
will not even compare to what we will be entering into. The suffering now will be at most will feel like a prick of the finger compared to what we are entering into. No beauty, no kiss, no orgasm will give you the pleasure that is coming, will give you a sliver of the pleasure that is coming to you in eternal life. No romantic love that is worth sailing across the world to find will even give you a glimpse of the love that you were going to be walking into. And what will be the most exhilarating is not that the roads are going to be paved with gold, but that God himself will be there and we will see him as he is in his glory will fill the sky, so much so that there is no sun or moon because his glory is radiating all the world. The great prize of heaven is that God is there. God the Father who loves us, God the Son who has given his life to rescue us, and the Spirit is there making every, every ounce of love that is given to us vivid and alive to us. And the Spirit is going to be giving, making everything so... We we're, we're going to be seeing colors that we have never seen. We're going to be hearing sounds that we've never heard. And the Spirit is going to make the trees sing by the wind going past them. The rocks are going to be crying out of the glory of our great God, and the waters are going to be crashing like symbols in this divine song. See, what's happening is God's creation is going to be entertaining us by every sound which is singing of the beauty and the majesty of God. Your imagination is going to be eternally captivated. Your heart is going to be screaming with joy and your soul will be dancing with pleasure eternally. But what, what is so sad is that we are, we are working so hard to pull pleasures out of this world, to pull, to pull satisfaction out of a world that was never designed to give us the pleasures and satisfaction that we are made for. We are meant to set now, we are meant to set our minds upon the things of heaven, and we pull actually now. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here and now, so we're actually able to pull pleasures of heaven now down into our life now as it is. In fact, if this is our reality, if this is what's coming to us, then we'll actually be able to enjoy this world more now because we're not going to be trying to pull pleasure out of a world that will never be able to give it to us. But we'll begin to pull it from the right place, the kingdom of God. The trick is that satisfaction comes when we set our imagination upon the world that is to come and place our affection on our God who has made it for us. And let me tell you this, knowing that this is your future changes the way that you live now when you know that that is your future. You can have joy now knowing that you have this eternal joy that you're entering into. So I have a notoriously messy car. 
who wants to clean it for me today? My mother-in-law said that she would. She's probably tired of her daughter sitting in the dirty car. Um, who would want to clean it for me for $5,000? Okay, who'd want to clean it for a whole year's salary? $50,000, let's say. No one for that? Okay, more people. Okay, you guys, you can be more interactive, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, okay, all right. Think about it like this. If, if your job was cleaning cars, cleaning my car probably wouldn't be that fun. And, and if you were an angry person, it probably wouldn't help with your anger. If you were an unhappy person, it probably wouldn't make you happy. And if you were a depressed person, it probably wouldn't make you undepressed. But if you were going to get a whole year's salary from cleaning my car... It's not going to wipe away your sadness forever. It's not going to wipe away your depression forever. And it's not going to make you completely satisfied. But for a moment, as you're cleaning my car, I bet that you would be less sad. And I bet you would be more satisfied. And I bet you would have some joy in cleaning the car because you know what is coming to you at the end when you finish that. How much more, when we are promised eternal life, can we pull from the pleasures that are coming to us into the reality in this world right now because we know that that is the future that's coming to us? If we have our imagination set upon that world. And what I mean by this is not that your problems are going to go away, but their control of you does. I bet that so much stress in your life is coming because you're failing to set your minds upon this future that is coming to you. Some of you are controlled by your current situation because you haven't fixed your eyes on the eternal Zoe that's coming to you. You might still struggle with sadness, depression, anger, dissatisfaction, but it's not going to have control of you like it would if that wasn't your future. Some of you, you're chasing money, thinking that if you can get enough of it, it's going to satisfy you. No amount of money is going to be able to give you what eternal life is going to be able to give you. Some of you are chasing after success, thinking, if I could just be successful, I'm going to get this high from chasing success, and I'm going to get this comfortable life if I'm successful. No amount of success can give you the comfort in the high that is coming to you in eternal life. And some of you are obsessed over your image, over the way you look. Whether you're happy about the way you look or you're not happy about the way you look, you're obsessing over it. Let me tell you this. When Jesus says he's going to raise everything up on the last day, here's what that means. Heaven and earth are made for each other. And one day, they're going to be completely woven together. Did you know that? There's going to be a day when heaven and earth are joined together as one. And on that day, here's what happens. So, so we go, we enter into heaven, our souls are in heaven, but we are without a body. 
and the promise of what it means when Jesus says he's going to make all things new and he's going to raise everything up on the last day is that you are given the promise of having a perfect physical body that will be yours for all of eternity. And let me tell you something about this body. It's going to be so beautiful that you're going to look in the mirror and the mirror isn't even going to be able to register the beauty and reflect it back to you. I hope I've given you an appetite for the life that is to come. So now the question is, how do we get there? This is the question that plagues humanity. How do we get there? Well, first what I want to do is say how we don't get there. I want to tell you what Christianity is not. A a famous Bible teacher in London years ago named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when somebody would walk into his office, he would, he would ask them if they're a Christian. And if they said something like, well, I'm trying to be, or, yeah, I think so, or, or they would say, I'm, I, you know what, yeah, I, I mean, God knows that I'm trying hard. He would say, in that moment, he knew that they were not yet a Christian. Most people think that getting into eternal life is about being good, about trying hard to be good. But look at what Jesus says. He says, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. So they ask him, well, what works must we do? And he says, actually, there's no work for you to do. Only the work of God in you that you believe in him whom he has sent. What Jesus is saying is that no amount of works will get you into heaven. Only faith in Christ and his work. If someone says, hey, is so-and-so a Christian? And they say, well, yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, they're a good person, so yeah, yeah, they're a Christian. That is not what a Christian is. A Christian is not a good person. A Christian is a believing person. You say, okay, so no good work can get me in. Is that what you're saying? You say, well, why is that? Well, I'll tell you since you asked, but the answer is kind of gross, but I'm going to tell you the answer. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All right. The actual modern translation of this, of filthy rags, is actually dirty tampons. Yes. I tell you the truth, Joe. Okay, listen, 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 listen. What this is saying is that even our best deeds are like dirty tampons compared to what is expected of one who is worthy of eternal life. So when I was in high school, I wanted to be a guitar player for a living. So I went to Nashville, and when I got there, these guitar players blew me out of the water. I was not worthy of Nashville. Nashville would have chewed me up and spit me out. Heaven 
is 100% pure. Every action in heaven is an absolute perfect action, and those who, only those who are perfect are worthy of heaven, and it would spit us out as we are. If something or someone was imperfect, went into heaven, it would taint all of heaven. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous. No, not even one. To be righteous is to be perfectly right in absolutely everything you do, and that is the standard for heaven, and that's the standard for eternal life. Christianity, guys, is not about being good. It's about admitting that you aren't. When you ask a Christian, when you say to them, hey, are you worthy of heaven? Are you worthy of heaven? Their answer is, no. Me? There's no way I'm worthy of heaven, but I'm going there. How? By faith in Christ. And that is our answer. It is all by faith alone, in Christ alone, in his grace alone. Your works don't buy your way in. Faith in Christ's work ransoms you in. A Christian is not a good person. A Christian is a person who says no amount of good work can earn my way in. But, my, but I am in because Christ's work has been credited to me in my place. To believe in Christ is to believe this. He who is perfect came down to die in the place of those who are imperfect in order to make those who are imperfect perfect. How does that happen? Well, this is the core of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means you believe that Christ has traded places with you. He takes your record of wrong, and you, by faith, take his record of right. His record is completely credited to you, and your bad record is burned up, and the ashes are cast into the sea, never to be seen again. Your record's made worthy of heaven. So you say, well, what about when I get there? Aren't I going to mess things up? Aren't I going to sin when I get there? No, because here's why. When you have faith in Christ, he makes you into a new creation. And as a new creation in this world, you will continue to sin. But as a new creation, when you enter into eternal life, life with him, here's what happens. You see him as he is, and you become like him, and you'll never, ever, ever be able to sin again. But he says, but you got to have faith first. And that's it. That is absolutely it. Admitting that you aren't good enough and then having faith in Christ that he's good enough for you. That's it. You're in. Available to all. The most inclusive of all religions. All are welcome in. It's all by faith. The late great Martin Luther, he said, is there nothing that you have to do to be saved? And he says, no, nothing except to receive Christ as your Savior. And then he goes on to say that you're not even saved by the quality of your faith, but by the quality of the person that you have faith in. 
So you're saying, okay, so you're saying, David, someone could commit tons of horrible crimes. At the end of their life, they realize that what they've done is wrong. And they go to God and they say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I have faith that your record has been credited to me and my record has been cast into the sea. Are you saying that they're in? And I say, yes. Does that offend you? The grace of God is offensive. It is scandalous because it's giving people stuff that they don't deserve. But stop worrying about everybody else and worry about you. This is good news for you. No matter what you have done, you are in through faith. It all comes down to this. While no amount of goodness can get you in, no amount of sin can keep you out through faith in Christ. No amount of good work will get you in, but by faith, no amount of sin will keep you out. In fact, verse 37 is saying that if you come to him by faith, never going to lose you. If you come to him by faith, you get in his grasp His grasp is never, ever, ever going to let you go. No matter what your past sin is, your present sin, or even your future sin, you are his forever. You say, well then, doesn't the Bible set some pretty high expectations on the Christian? Absolutely. But, see, here's here's what it comes down to. You're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. The faith that you have in Christ will produce all kinds of goodness in you. But goodness will never produce faith in you. But faith will produce goodness in you. And the problem is people typically get it mixed up. People typically will say, if I obey God, he's going to accept me. But Christianity is screaming out to us, no, it's your accept, God accepts you through faith, and that, that acceptance will produce obedience in you. Obedience doesn't produce acceptance, but acceptance will produce obedience in you. When you're won over by this grace, You give your life over to obeying him. Why? Because you see that you've been given a gift that you didn't deserve and you're so overwhelmed by it. And you say, oh my, this is what you are giving me? This grace that I didn't do anything to deserve? You say, wow, I'm giving my life over to you because you're more gracious to me than I'm even gracious to myself. You say, take me, I'm yours. Teach me how to live. Christianity is not about a joyless duty. It is about a joyful obedience that has bubbled up because you are in such a high degree of gratitude for what God has given you by grace that you say, I'm going to live the way you want me to live because I'm so grateful for the gift that you've given to me. And your affections become set upon him. And you say, I want to live the way you've called me to live because I see the grace that you've given to me. Have you ever met a joyless Christian? No. 
you have met someone that either thinks they are a Christian and thinks that what it means to be a Christian is to follow all these rules to get to God. And what has happened is that they are absolutely joyless because they are trying to earn something that they'll never be able to earn. Or if you have met a Christian that is joyless, you've met someone who's lost sight of the grace of God that's been given to them. And maybe that's you. (laughs) Maybe you have lost sight of God's grace given to you. Or maybe you've been trying to earn it for so long. A while ago, I was asked to speak at a men's retreat, and I started off with this question. At the end of your life, when you meet God, how will he feel about you? And this was at a men's leadership retreat, so here's how I know Christianity has been misunderstood. Primarily, the conversation went like this. How does God feel about you at the end of your life? How will God feel about you? And and it went along the lines of, well, God's got to know that I'm trying hard. Maybe sprinkle a little bit of evangelism in somewhere. But mostly, you know, I got to obey God. And then finally, someone raised their voice. This went on for a little bit. Someone finally raised their voice. And they said, I don't know what God you guys are talking about, but my God has 100% complete acceptance and approval of me and passionate love for me because I am covered with the goodness of Christ. And I said, that is it. That is what Christianity is. Somebody's joyful about it. Um, For some of you, for probably a lot of us, our relationship with God sucks Because we are trying to earn the right to come and be in relationship with him. Do you understand Christianity is saying that he who did have, who was perfect in every single way, was alienated from the father on the cross so that we can enter into this perfect relationship with the father. Some of you are so afraid to disappoint the people around you because you're not you're not seeing that you have 100% approval from the only one who really matters, the Father in heaven. His love for you is absolutely constant and relentless. For all of you who are approval junkies like me and just want people to like you, you have a God now who loves you beyond your wildest dreams. You can just rest in that. Many people will say to me, ah, there's no hope for me. You know, I'm too far gone. Don't worry about me. Just pass on by me. I am just too far gone. Here's what that's saying. Their view of God is actually less holy, and their view of God is that his world that he's created for us in heaven is not actually that perfect because people can actually earn their way in. The Christian comes by faith alone, and accepts it all as a free gift. If you are waiting to become a Christian till you get your life all together, you'll never become a Christian. 
because a Christian is the first one to say, I don't have my life together at all, but there was only one who ever had his life together, and he came and he went to the cross in my place so that I can stand in his place. Perfect acceptance. Some of you, you are paralyzed by this gross feeling of guilt for your past sins and your present sins. There is no guilt for the Christian. Conviction to live differently? Yes, absolutely. But guilt? Get it the hell out of here. It has no place in the Christian life. Complete freedom from guilt. Why? Because the only one who is truly innocent came and died in the place of the guilty so that you, the guilty, can now stand in the place as an innocent child of God. Jesus is the only one worthy of eternal life. And he came to die in the place of those who are worthy of hell. And he suffered the pains of hell in our place in order to welcome us right on into eternal life. The heavens are calling your name. They have been built for you by the only one who would die in your place. Put your faith in the only one who makes heaven heaven because he has made you worthy of it. Let's pray.